Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 15, the book of Judges chapter 15. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, remember our study last week in chapter 14 where Samson, he was mad. Where we ended last week, he's angry because he was just betrayed by his wife who conspired against him. And so there was this period of separation where he left to be with his dad. Now, it's so important to understand in this life of Samson that we're looking at how the promises of the Lord, it was unto mama and papa. And these promises of the Lord Lord were given to mama and papa before. Remember, she was barren. She couldn't have kids. And it was the Lord who gave her these promises that she will give birth, telling her about her son before he was even conceived. You see, and so you see the in, in the ups and downs in the life of Samson, just like we see in our studies in the Old Testament, you see the ups and the downs of Israel. And just as we study as New Covenant believers in the New Testament, we also see the ups and the downs in the Christian life. And remember, you know, we come to Jesus at 0%. You know, we're not saved by works lest any man should boast. But then at the same time, we go from 0% to 99.9%. 100% is when we're dead because we're moving on to perfection. 100% will be dead and in the presence of the Lord. You see, and so, but in that 0% too, we don't stay at 0%. We grow, we mature in Christ. And at 0%, from, from 0% to 99.9%, we're, it's, it's not going to be a smooth, like, straight shot up. We're going to have the ups and the downs. I mean, look at Peter in Peter's life, how he was growing and maturing in the knowledge of godliness, but then at the same time, how he was rebuked by the Lord. Get the ends behind me, Satan, how the Lord says to Peter, remember? And in Peter, you see the ups and downs where, you know, he's walking with the Lord, and then all of a sudden... He denies the Lord, not once, not twice, three times. And then, you know, he comes back to Christ and then even in maturing and growing from that point, you see the beautiful mercy and grace of our Lord and his love. But even in the life of Peter, when he was rebuked by Paul, you see the ups and the downs. It happened with Peter. It happens with all of us as we learn, as we grow, as we mature. And specifically in the area of anger, if you have problems with anger, and I tell you from experience, where my anger turned to rage, and that was my vice. This is like 25 years ago. It's a good practice to walk away from the situation where you take time to cool off. Because in anger, if you automatically start to speak in anger, sometimes it's good to just not say anything at all. Not say anything at all. Because, you know, remember the example we gave in our our study in the book of James about taming the tongue? And we gave the example of the fire and the, the barrel of gasoline. Those two things have to be very, very, very far apart. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Those two things, the, 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 the fire and the barrel of gasoline. Those have to be very, very far apart in every single one of us. You and me. They have to be very far apart. And sometimes with anger... They're immediately, you know, a hundred miles an hour. They're going in the in the in, 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 toward each other, 
with anger. You know, they can be like a hundred miles away, a hundred miles apart, and then with anger, all of a sudden they start like gearing up and speeding toward each other. That's very dangerous. Where sometimes it's good to just say, "Listen, I'm out of here. I'm gonna walk away. I'm gonna walk away. I'm not gonna say a word. I'm out of here." Because you know that the collision of that gasoline and it's, they're speeding towards each other, that barrel of gasoline and that, that fire, they're speeding towards each other. And that's what happens with anger. And so, you know, that the collision of those two, it's going to be bad. And you just, Hey, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And people won't understand what you're doing. People don't understand. People won't understand. And a lot of times it's like, it's way better to just walk away. Don't say a word, just be silent and walk away. Take yourself and remove yourself from the situation. Because if you stay in the situation and that gasoline is speeding one direction and the, 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 the fire is speeding in the opposite direction and they're coming toward each other. Once they collide, stand by. And to avoid that, Hey, I'm out of here. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, the speed of the fire, the speed of the gasoline, the barrel, it starts to slow down. It starts to slow down. Once you remove yourself from the situation, and I tell you from experience, it starts to slow down. It slows down. It slows down. It slows down. And then they stop. Instead of being 100 miles away, now they're, you know, 30 miles away from each other. They got a whole lot closer but they're not close to each other. They're far away from each other. And it's not, gonna, it's not to say that the anger isn't going to go away. But the behavior is as, in the resu- as a result of anger, that's going to go away. Because you're, you're out of the situation. You remove yourself from the situation. Now the anger is still going to be there. That Remember, the gas, the, ga- the barrel and the fire, they have to be... 100 miles away or more, but now they're 30 miles away and you're still angry. You removed yourself from the situation, but you're still angry. But praise be to the Lord because the, the speed, it stopped. But then at the same time, you're still angry and nobody's there. You're there by yourself. And now you give it to the Lord. And now you give it to the Lord. And you know, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, something else happens. That fire and that barrel, it starts to move in the opposite direction. You see? It starts to move in the opposite direction, not toward each other this time. Now it's away from each other. And now it's 30 miles away from each other, 40 miles, 50, 60, 70, 80 miles away from each other, 100 miles away from each other. And now, because you learned, now it's 120 miles. Where before you were capped at 100 miles away from each other, now it's 120 miles, 130 miles. Because you're learning and you're growing and you're maturing. So where it used to be 100 miles away, now it's 150. Now it's 200 miles away from each other. It's even further away. And that's what happens. When, you re- when you're angry and you remove yourself from the situation. It's not just to remove yourself to avoid the explosion, the, the, the inferno of rage inside of you. There's that too. 
But there's more to it. Remove yourself from the situation and we go to our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. You see? And he takes it away. And I tell you this from experience. And in the life of Samson, you see, you know, Samson, he, he took time to cool off. He took time to cool off. He was angry. He was mad at his wife who conspired against him. But something happened with Samson. While he was gone, where we ended our study last week, his wife had been given to another man. His best man at his wedding. I mean, picture that. You know, that's, that's pretty messed up. You see? But also understand, Samson, he's unequally yoked. He's unequally yoked. Remember, Mama and Papa? When, when last week he says, oh, I like this lady, you know, I want her. And his mom and dad, like, we got no women here in Dan? They were Danites of the tribe of Dan. We got, of, of all our tribes, of, there's, there's no women here, Samson? There's no, there's no women here? We got no suitors in all Israel? You see? And so that's where we begin our study here. In Judges 15, where that's where we ended last week, where we pick up this week. And so here we are in Judges 15, verse 1. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Now, this is very interesting to see this. It's also very important to understand what is happening. <clears throat> and, you know, it, it's... We have the backdrop of our studies in Torah. Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because, you know, I've heard pastors, you know, they, they speak about the this, you know, Samson visit his wife with a young goat and it, 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 they make a mockery of it. But because we have this backdrop of our study in Torah, we know that the goat is one of the animals permissible for a peace offering where sacrifice is to be made followed by the eating of the animal. You see, the sacrifice is unto the Lord, but the eating was for the party involved. And this is a big deal. What we see happening here in verse 1, this is a big deal. Because when we see Samson, where we ended last week in, our, in, in chapter 14, he's angry, he's mad. And so he separates, he extricates himself from the situation. And he goes to his dad's house. Picture the counsel that his dad gave him. Picture the counsel that he received from his dad. Picture the counsel he received from his mom. In order for Samson to return to his wife with a young goat. One of the animals permissible for a peace offering. You see? And when you consider the counsel that he received from his parents, it tells us all we need to know, the fact that he comes with a young goat. I have something to say to parents. When your kids have problems, not if, when. And you might have like little kids, but they're going to be teenagers. And you might have teenagers, but they're going to be young adults. They're going to go out into the world. And they're going to experience everything that the world has to offer. 
And they're going to have a choice to make. Do they buy into the world? Or do they stay with Jesus? You see, they're going to have a choice to make. Teach your children well. But when your kids have problems, the number one priority above all things, above everything, in every situation, in any and every situation, is for them to be right with the Lord. Number one. For them to be right with the Lord. I was recently made aware of a situation with a young couple. And the husband was caught in sexual sin. And what happens is they seek the counsel of their pastor. And the pastor started to, to say that it's the wife's fault. It's the wife's fault that her husband lost interest in her. And, you know, she needs to submit to him and his desires. She needs to go to the gym, lose the love handles. And, you know, it's so sad to see this. Where the wife, she has nowhere to go for counsel. And so having nowhere to go for counsel, she goes to her father-in-law. Because she wants Christian counsel. So she goes to her father-in-law. And her father-in-law tells her, No matter what, no matter what, I am always going to side with my son. That's what he tells her. No matter what. What? What did she do? What is her crime? I mean, is getting chubby an offense against the Lord? What has she done? She goes to the pastor. The pastor said, oh, it's it's, it's her fault. She got a little chubby. And she has nowhere to go, the husband with his sexual sin. And then she goes, she has has nowhere to go. She goes, okay, who's who's another Christian in my life? She thinks in her mind, who's another Christian in my life? I'm going to go to my father-in-law. Maybe he's going to give me some good counsel. And the father-in-law says, listen, no matter what, I'm always going to side with my son. You see, this is terrible. This is why we all, every single one of us, we have to understand formula. I get what the pastor says. I get what the father-in-law says, but that is carnal. That's the ways of Adam. That is the ways of the world. You see? And in this beautiful lady situation, Her pastor has no business counseling, let alone being pastor, for other reasons that we won't get into. And her father-in-law, he's in the wrong. He's in the wrong. You know, no matter what, I'm always going to side with my son. Well, what what if son's crazy town? What if son is involved with sin? You see, we side with Jesus. Parents, we side with Jesus. You see? And when kids, when your kids come to you with problems, not if, when, I don't care what age. They might be 3, they might be 13, they might be 23, they might be 43. And when your when your kids come to you with problems, the number one priority is for them to be right with the Lord, for them to be right with Jesus. Number 1. 
And a lot of times you have parents, they say, oh, family's everything, family's everything, family's everything. And they, they instill in themselves, it's self-inflicted. They instill in themselves this mantra of that family is everything. And so when their son is in the wrong, they don't care that the son is in the wrong. They say, well, family's everything, so I'm always going to side with my son. When daughter is in the wrong, they don't care that she's wrong before the Lord because according to their mantra, family is everything and I'm always going to side with my daughter. Even if my daughter is wicked, even if my son is wicked, even if they're not walking with the Lord, even if she's not walking with the Lord. You see, it's very important for every single one of us to understand formula. And this beautiful lady in this situation, she has nowhere to go. You see, three men in egregious error, three men, terrible, egregious error. Her husband, definitely in error. Her father-in-law, in error. And her pastor. And in this situation with this council, how is anyone right with the Lord? How is anyone right with the Lord? You see, what should have happened, there was the number one, the sexual sin shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't, it should be just removed from the equation completely. We understand, this is why we emphasize a lot formula. Because when you understand formula, you're going to sit in pews and realize, wow, this pastor is crazy. This pastor is disqualified. Or, you know, remember we open up the family. So, you know, you say, wow, this pastor is such a good teacher. But then at the same time, the wife is crazy. The wife's a crackhead. You cannot submit to him. You cannot safely submit to him. You know, this guy's dangerous because if he can't keep his home in order, how is he going to keep the house of God in order? We stress formula for a reason. Because you know, listen, I'm in this fellowship, I'm in this church, and it's Laodicea. I want it to be Philadelphia. I pray for Philadelphia, but this church that I'm in, it's Laodicea. You know what you got to do? You got to jump ship. You got to jump ship. Because in life's problems, when you need counsel and you seek counsel, you're going to go to a source that is completely out of whack, just like this beautiful lady. And she goes to the pastor and discovers that it's her fault, according to this guy who has no business at the pulpit. And it's her fault because she's a little chubby. And according to his counsel, which, you know, she thought to be godly, Instead of saying, you know, hey, let's pray. You know, I'm going to handle your husband. I'm going to deal with your husband. We're going to have, you know, one-on-one counseling. Instead of that, he says, hey, you know, lady, go to the gym. Go work out. You see, that's carnal. That's the ways of Adam. And devastated, she goes to her father-in-law. And her father-in-law says, I'm always going to side with my son no matter what. Because family is everything. But what about the family of faith? 
What about heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ as the head? You see? Where the father-in-law could see his daughter-in-law as his sister in Christ. Where the father-in-law can say, hey, you know, you're my sister in Christ. You know, you're grieving and I grieve with you. My son, according to Adam, my son of my flesh, he has wickedness in his heart. You see? But oh no, that doesn't happen. Because the mantra of the world, the mantra of the carnal, the mantra of the dying, of the dead, family is everything. Family is everything. But the family of faith, far better is the family of faith. You see? How is anyone right with the Lord in this situation? The pastor, how is he right with the Lord? You see, how is he right with the Lord? When there's no aligning with the ways of the Lord and he's teaching, he's at the pulpit, he's a pastor, he's proclaiming what people presume to be truth. Where's the intimacy with the Lord when he knows nothing about the Lord? You see, the father-in-law, how is he right with the Lord? When he's placing family according to the flesh above family of faith. You see, how is the husband right with the Lord? How is he right with the Lord? When he's estranged from the Lord. And then we get into the area of doctrine. What in the world are these people taught? What in the world are these people taught? What is the doctrine that permits such a thing? You see? Then you talk to the husband. Well, there's God's perfect will and then there's his permissible will. Like, okay, I get what's happening here. Well, you know, once saved, always saved. So, you know, this is okay. It's not his permissive will. It's not his perfect will. It's permissible, though. You see, doctrine. Then you understand what has been taught, what has spread, and what these people bought into. You see? The formula. It's, it has to be right. And there is something that has an appearance of godliness where, you know, okay, we, you know, we need marriage counseling. So, you know, let's go speak to the pastor and the pastor, he's going to give us counsel. And this is what good Christians do. And it seems right. It has the appearance of godliness. But the only way it's right is when the formula is right. The formula must be right. Parents. Parents, 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 I love you. And when your kid comes to you for guidance, remember, remember, remember. I don't care what age they are. They might be three. They might be 53. And when your kid comes to you for guidance, 
the number one priority is for them to be right with the Lord. The side that you take must be that of Jesus. You see? Look at Samson. He's angry. He, he separates. He, he's angry. He's enraged. He separates. He goes, you know what? I just, you know, I can't stand this lady right now. I'm going to leave. And if I stay here, it's going to get very bad. I'm very angry. And, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to stay with my dad. Now he goes to his dad's house and he's not going to go party. He's not going to go live it up. He's not going to go do anything crazy. Mama and Papa at that time, consider the counsel that they give to their son. Consider the counsel that they give to their son who is enraged. He's angry. For Samson to return with a young goat. You see? Peace offering. And that's what's so beautiful about having the back. Remember in our study in Torah? And when we're studying Torah and you know how we made mention, it's so beautiful that we have this backdrop of Torah. Because if we didn't understand Torah, we just figure, okay, that's kind of weird. You know, Samson coming to, back to his wife with a young goat. Oh, that, that's kind of weird. You know, does, does she like to eat goat? Does she like mutton? We would wonder about, you know, what's up with this goat? You know, and... Pastors even teach so-called pastors. They, they start to teach, well, you know, culturally speaking, you know, that was a, a delicacy in those days. And so, it, you know, he was trying to make good with his wife. But with the backdrop of our study in Torah, we know what has happened. Because in order for Samson to come with this goat, which is a peace offering, something else is precursory to that. He has to be right with the Lord. You see? He has to be right with the Lord. And it's so beautiful to understand this and see this. Remember when we look at the life of Samson, we can never ever forget Mama and Papa. Never forget Mama and Papa. And a lot of times people say, okay, Samson, he's big and strong. And yes, he was big and strong. Oh, Samson, you know the hair. Okay, yeah, there's the hair. But who talks about mama and papa? You see? Samson, his parents, mama and papa, they want their son who's angry, who's enraged. And you look at the situation and it's understandable where a parent could say, okay, look, you know, I understand you're angry, I get it. They say, well, you know, we told you so. We told you so. You should have listened to us. You should have got a wife and, and of the Danites. You know, we told you so. That's carnal. That's the ways of the flesh. That's the ways of Adam. Parents, you don't have to throw it in the kid's face. You don't have to throw it in the kid's face. There is pain to sin. And they feel it. Remember, number one priority, they need to be right with the Lord. Something else has to be said. Only the clean can clean. You see, 
Parents, you know, if you're in your involved with your own sin and then your kids come to you, only the clean can clean. You're, you incapacitate, incapacitate yourself through the filth of sin. But when you live righteously before the Lord and you know that only the clean can clean, your kids come to you, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Baby girl, let's get you cleaned up. My beautiful son, let's get you cleaned up. You see? And when we understand this, you see, a lot of times women, and you know, for my sisters in Christ, I love you. But a lot of times, remember when we look at the pastoral epistles and there came with the warning label for women? About, not really a warning label, kind of a warning label, but a hopefully, I pray, a, a, a comforting warning label. How, yes, it is biblically true that women, females, cannot be pastors. Cannot be pastors. But the better ministry is pouring into the sons who can be pastors because they're male. Remember, covering always male. Covering in a church, always male. But there is parental covering. There is the covering of the female. There is the covering of a womb unto a child. You see? Remember Eunice and Lois? The covering unto future pastor in Little Timmy, remember? And a lot of times females, they figure, well, you know what? This pastor's crazy. This pastor's crazy. This pastor's crazy. So I'm going to take it upon myself to be a pastor. No, don't do that. If that's you, if you're female and that's you, repent. If you have that, I, that, that mentality and that idea, well, you know, this pastor's crazy. This pastor's crazy. The men are crazy. And listen, I'm in full agreement. The men are crazy. Pastors are crazy. I'm in full agreement. For my sisters in Christ, you see the craziness in the church today? Listen, I'm in full agreement. But we cannot take it upon ourselves to respond in a manner that is carnal in the ways of Adam and the ways of the flesh. We have to respond in a manner that honors the Lord. Just like Chloe did. She could not submit herself to crazy pastors in Corinth. So she has her home fellowship. Women. Sisters. You see? And if you're a female and you have that mentality, well, you know what? These pastors are crazy, so I'm going to be a pastor. No, you have to repent and don't do that. If you've already done it, if you know, if if you see the craziness and you've already done it and you, 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 you are a pastor, you became a pastor, listen, you might think you're a pastor, but according to the Bible, you're not a pastor. Repent, step down. Because coverings are always male. The better ministry to my sisters, beautiful sisters whom I love, the better ministry is to pour into your children, pour into your sons, pour into your daughters, and of the sons, pour into them, pray for them, pray for the daughters too. Because the son is eligible, we'll say. And I don't like using that word, but you know, I don't I'm you know, I don't have like a big vocabulary. But the son is eligible for pastoral ministry. And when I say eligible, it's because he's male. There are other qualifications behind that. It's not just, okay, he's a guy, so he can be pastor. No, male, okay, little check mark. Male, check mark, okay, male, check mark. Then you look at doctrine, you know, check mark. You see? And you look at, you know, his behaviors unto the Lord, okay, check mark. Is he married? 
Okay, he's married. Okay, you know, then you look at the wife. Okay, remember that the, the home is open to scrutiny. Okay, check mark. She's not crazy. She's not on crack. Okay, check mark. Does he have kids? Yeah, he's got a couple kids. Okay, home is open to scrutiny. Wife, check mark. Son, check mark. Daughter, check mark. You see? All these check marks that he can be pastor. And look at what can be poured into the next generation of not just righteousness, of leadership. Parents, parents, parents. Only the clean can clean. And when your kids come to you for guidance and help, and sometimes they come with a whole heap of problems because they messed up. Every single parent, mom and dad, let's get you cleaned up, baby girl. Let's get you cleaned up, my son. And only the clean can clean. You see? Kid might be three. Kid might be 13. Kid might be 23. Kid might be 53. And we see this in Samson. He comes to his wife with a young goat, the peace offering in verse one. He's and, and he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go. Her father says in verse two, her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. You see, Samson was mad. His anger was not in question. He was mad. People knew his father-in-law knew. And so what happened is the father-in-law gave his daughter away to another guy, Samson's best man at the wedding. What a mess. You see, what a mess. But with unequal yoking, what do you expect? What do you expect? With unequal yoking. I mean, if you're a Christian... I meant for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, teenagers even, you know, young people who have this idea of what marriage should look like. If it's, if that idea of what marriage looks like is formed by Hollywood, if it's formed by what you see in TV and in the movies, if it's formed by that, listen, expect a mess. I say young people, but even old people. Sometimes there's like 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds who are, you know, never been married and, you know, just praying for the, the right guy, the right gal. There's nothing wrong with that. Me personally, I think it's actually quite beautiful. Because I remember the words of Paul. When his recommendation, not a, you know, legal order, but you know, he just makes a recommendation. I recommend you stay single. Just his recommendation, the recommendation of a godly man. This isn't the recommendation of Hymenaeus and Alexander. This is a recommendation of Paul. Paul knows his stuff. He's been around. He knows his stuff. Very experienced. And his recommendation, hey, you know, just stay single. You see, and a lot of single people don't understand that. And I get it. Everybody has their desires and passions, and I get it. I, I fully understand it. I want to say passions. You know, you know. When, when you remember our study in 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 in, in the Corinthian letters and First Corinthians, you know, there's you know, if they have sexual sin. Listen, get married. 
I, I, I get it. I understand it. But there's something that happens with maturity and growing in Christ and becoming deadly. The next, the next echelon of growth is when a Christian becomes not just mature, but becomes deadly. The kind of deadly like Peter, the kind of deadly like Paul, the kind of deadly like James, like Chloe, like Lydia. That kind of deadly. And you start to realize, you start to see differently. And Paul even says of the married to live as though you're not married. And when he says that, he doesn't say it so that <clears throat> if you're married, you can go to the clubs. If you're married, you can go live like you're single. If you're married, you can go and go to ladies night. No. He says for the married to live as though they're unmarried. Why? So that we can please the Lord and serve the Lord. Very important to understand. And so Samson, in his anger, he goes to his dad's house. And so picture that counsel that he received. In order to come with the young goat and have this peace offering, he himself has to be right with the Lord. Picture that beautiful, wonderful, godly counsel that he received from his parents. And when he comes back, don't expect things to be fine and dandy. I mean, I mean, it, it, when, have you ever been in a mess? You're in a mess and then you get cleaned up and you're right before the Lord. When you come back, don't expect everybody to be on board. Don't expect everybody to be on the same page because there's going to be a mess. You know, the example we gave when you extricate yourself from a situation, if you're angry or when you're angry. You leave from a situation, say, for example, there's 10 people in a room and you're one of them. And you're angry. Now, it, it might very well be righteous indignation. But understand that, that that emotion, it might be righteous indignation. It might not be righteous indignation. It might be carnal anger. It might be. But understand, with the emotion of anger, and emotions are beautiful. You can't just turn off emotions. People say like, oh, you know, you're too sensitive. You know, you're overly sensitive about this. No, emotions are part of our lives. Emotions are part of the human experience. And the Lord, he uses them. He uses them. People say, oh, you're, you're too sensitive. You're, too, you're over emotional about this. No, that's rubbish. Understand with, with emotion, how is a person to respond? And with the emotion of anger, there are some warning labels attached to that. There is an increased propensity for carnality through certain emotions. Anger. There is a propensity for carnality with anger, with any emotion, but with anger, you're in a room with 10 people and you know, you've been taught well, you know, Hey, listen, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. So you remove yourself from that room and you're like, you know what? I can't even be in the same house. That's how angry I am. So I can't even be in the same house. So you're like, you know what? I, I'm so angry. I can't even be in the same city. 
So, you know, you drive far away. <laughs> and you're just taking time to cool off. But even taking time to cool off, make sure you're with the Lord. Make sure you're with the Lord. Because Satan also uses emotion. Satan also attempts to capitalize on emotion. You go to the Lord. And maybe, maybe seek counsel. And if you seek counsel, make sure who you go to is godly. I mean, I don't want to speak, you know, you know, negatively about parents, but like if you if you have parents that are crazy, you can't seek them for counsel. You see? And it's so sad for kids. Just like just like the lady in the marriage situation. She goes to the pastor without realizing I can't go to the pastor. She can't talk to her husband. Her husband is compromised. I mean, she can talk to her husband, but in, I'm talking about counsel, godly counsel. What do I do in this situation? That's what I'm talking about. And she doesn't realize that she can't go to the pastor. She just figures, well, you know, the guy's got the pastor parking spot. So he's a pastor. So I'm going to go to him for counsel. She goes to him for counsel and receives counsel, but it's counsel of Adam, counsel of the flesh. And she doesn't realize. And she doesn't like that counsel. You know, my husband did his sexual stuff. My husband's doing this. My husband's doing that. My husband saw her. My husband met her. And I have to go to the gym. It's my fault. Husband's doing this craziness and I got to go to the gym. What did she do? What's her crime? Where in the Bible is it, it a sin to have love handles? Where? You won't find that. You see? So the what do I do? What do I do? I don't like what the pastor says. You know, I, I can't go to my parents. They're not believers. I can't get godly counsel. So who's next? I'm going to go to my father-in-law. And the father-in-law sides with the husband. I'm always going to side with my son, no matter what. You see? But when the formula is right, when the formula is right, the father-in-law could see his daughter-in-law as his sister in Christ. His sister in Christ. Family. Spiritual family. Heirs of Abraham. Embrace her in her moment of need and say, listen, my son is in wickedness. My son is in wickedness. I love my son, but he is wicked. There is wickedness in his heart. You see? And then the lady, in the course of time, starts to discover Okay, father-in-law, his counsel was wrong. The, the pastor, he shouldn't be a pastor. He has no business being a pastor. Where does the pastor get off saying such things? Where did he learn such things to counsel like that? And then the lady further starts to discover 
his doctrine is wrong. And if his doctrine is wrong, what she's been subjecting herself for all this time, she starts to realize, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong church. Oh my goodness, I got to jump ship. Why is it that my husband thinks this way? Why does he think that, you know, this is even permissible? It's not the Lord's perfect will. It's his permissive will. Why does he even think that? Now, biblically speaking, wife, she can divorce. She can divorce. She did nothing wrong. A lot of women, a lot of women get sent on the guilt trips by the husband. Oh, it's not good that we should divorce. The God hates divorce. God hates divorce. And it's not good that we should divorce. Listen, it's the husband that broke the marriage contract. It's the husband that broke. And the wife is free to divorce her husband because he broke the marriage contract, the marriage covenant. You see? Wives, be very wise. Be very wise. Guilt trips are carnal. And I'm not trying to say, you know, it's just a blanket statement like, yeah, divorce your husband. But husbands these days, I guess it was, it's been around for a while. They like to use the guilt trip because they don't like to associate the shame of what they have done. And they don't like the shame to be on public display of what they have done. They've broken the marriage covenant. They've broken the home. They've destroyed the family. They've destroyed their children. You see? A lot of guys just like to sweep it under the rug. Well, yeah, okay. So I repent. I'm right with the Lord. And, you know, it just so happens that they repent and they think that they're right with the Lord the, the very day that they're caught. Very interesting. The day that they're caught is the day that they're right with the Lord. It just so happens. You see, most of the time they're sorry. They have regret only because they've been caught. That's carnal remorse. It's of the flesh. You know what that means? The old nature, the old man, isn't dead. The old man is still alive. And a lot of wives, they say, oh, you know, okay, my husband took me on a guilt trip, so he's right. The Bible does say God hates divorce, so you know what? I'm going to stay in this marriage. A couple weeks, a couple months later, and the husband's doing the exact same thing. You know why? The old man was not reckoned dead. He's still alive. The old nature, the carnal nature. Adam is still alive. And then wives get further into depression. You see? And then wives, they, they're depressed, depressed, depressed. They want joy. They're depressed, depressed, and they're not getting joy. They're depressed, depressed. And now what do they do? They go to the psychiatrist. I go to the pastor, pastor doesn't help. I go to the elder, elder doesn't help. I go to this marriage counselor, he doesn't help. I go to this other counselor, she doesn't help. And she wants all this help. So now what does she do? She goes to the medical doctor. She goes to the psychiatrist who gives her prescription medication, antidepressants. And her pain is so severe. She does her antidepressants and now she mixes it with alcohol. 
You see the mess? You see how mess upon mess upon mess upon mess, how it just happens? But in the ways of Adam, what do you expect? What's to be expected in the ways of Adam? Mess upon mess upon mess upon mess. What's to be expected? You know what's better at this whole situation? You know what's better? Formula. To understand formula. You see? To understand formula. So when you understand formula, a young family, husband, wife, they could submit themselves safely to a qualified pastor. Biblically qualified pastor who speaks on these matters. Oh, my old pastor says that, you know, I could admire beauty with my eyes. I can do the looky but no touchy. And I like that. That appeals to my senses. So I like what this pastor has to say. Listen, a pastor like that is a freak show. Wrong formula. He says you can look but don't touch. No, that is wicked. Because Jesus says if you look and lust, it's already a done deal. You're guilty of adultery. You need to repent. And men, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I want to go to church and feel good about myself. I don't like the pastor who says I can't, no look, no touch. I don't, I don't like the pastor who says that I'm already an adulterer if I look and lust. I'm already guilty of adultery. I don't like that. So I'm going to take my family over here. I'm going to go over here where I can sit in church and feel nice and good about myself. Listen, the only way any of us are going to feel good about ourselves is when we have intimacy with the Lord. Oneness with Jesus Christ. Cheek to cheek, remember? That's the only way. The more carnal you are, you're not going to feel good about yourself. Because you're carnal. But when the old man is dead, when the old woman is dead, you're going to go to church and feel like a million bucks. But let me tell you something. That church, there's going to be not a lot of people there. <laughs> it's going to be tiny. You see? Because everybody wants to, you know, I want to go to the, the guy that's going to whisper sweet nothings in my ear. That's exactly what they are, sweet nothings. And in this, with Samson, he comes back and, you know, just like the example we gave earlier, you know, 10 people in the room, you're one of them. You leave. And you get right with the Lord and you're right with the Lord. It's, it's beautiful to honor the Lord, extricate yourself from a situation. And, you know, you, you, you're, you're right with the Lord. You simmer down, you cool down. Now you're cool to the touch. You know, before you were just an inferno and you removed yourself from the situation. And, you know, you, you simmer down, you cool down. Now you're safe to the touch. And, you know, you, you, you pray, you, you give everything to the Lord. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the rage, you give it to the Lord. You think he won't take it? When you have intimacy with the Lord, you think he won't take it? I tell you from experience, he will. 
you don't have this understanding, well, go and seek counsel. And when you understand formula, you know who to go to. When you don't understand formula, you go and seek counsel. Don't expect, don't expect things to get fixed in a manner that is pleasing unto the Lord. And so in that situation, the 10 people in the room, you come back. So you're, you're, you're right with the Lord. Maybe you sought counsel. You prayed. And so you're nice and cleaned up and it's beautiful. You've simmered down. And when you go back to that room, which it was nine, it was 10. You left and that's nine. And you come back, it's 10 again. And you have peace. You're equipped. You feel strengthened. The comfort of the Lord. The other nine people, they don't have that. You have that. Because the formula is right in you. But the other nine, they don't have that. And you know what else? The more intimate you are with Jesus Christ, the increased likelihood is those nine, they're going to hate you. Why? Because of the godliness in you. Because of righteousness, they're going to hate you. They're not going to understand. Why did he leave? Why did she leave? They're not going to understand. You see? The carnal rarely understand the saint. When you come back in that situation, don't expect peace. You have peace in your heart. A peace that surpasses understanding. But not everybody is on that page. And with Samson, when he came back, he was right with the Lord and he wanted to make right with his wife. But the mess was not just still there. The mess was worse. Because he came back and said, let me see my wife. Let me see my wife. And in verse one, let me, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. You see? But what do you expect with unequally yoking? What's to be expected? Samson brought the young goat, but he wanted to be right with his wife. He wanted to make peace. You see? And let's not forget, at this particular juncture in Judges 15, well, 14 too, is that the Philistines, they're the head honchos at this particular moment. They're the head honchos. Picture, you know, I teach from America. Just so you know, I teach presently from the United States of America. Picture the U.S. being overtaken by Canada. And the Canadians are the head honchos. Everybody's in submission to the, to the Canadians. And that's how the Philistines are with Israel at this particular moment. And so his wife's father, his father-in-law, he tries to be matchmaker. In verse 2, he says, I, that the father-in-law, I, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. 
Is not her younger sister better than she? Please, take her instead. Take her instead. Some dad. Some dad. You see, one of the beautiful things in the Bible, among many, is the plethora of examples we have of both good and bad. You have the bad who stay bad. You have the good who stay good. You have the bad who turn good. And you have the good who turn bad in different walks of life. And what's so beautiful is that you see how God responds. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to wickedness. He responds to righteousness. And he also beautifully responds to repentance. And these examples we have in the word of God, the ups and the downs of life at different stages in life, it helps us in our own walks with the Lord. And through it, we see his faithfulness, his love, his grace, and his mercy. We see his beauty. We see his beauty. I mean, look at mama and papa of Samson. How beautiful is that? How beautiful are they? And what's in them? It's from the Lord. The work that the Lord has done on them and in them. But you look at the other set of parents, or you know, specifically the dad of the wife, the, the, the father-in-law. Look, he tries to be matchmaker. Look, the younger sister is better, you know. Look, I, I, I gave your wife to this other guy who was your best man in your wedding. But look, here's, a, here's the younger sister. She's better anyways, you know, take her instead. What a dad. Crazy. Crazy. You see, in the word of God, we have examples of the bad. The bad dad. We examples we have examples of the bad mom. We have examples of the bad kids. And I love it. I love it. It's painful that we have the bad examples, but I'm thankful. Why? Because it helps in our own walks. Don't be like that guy. Don't be like that lady. Don't be like this boy. Don't be like this girl. You see, it helps us in our walk because we see how the Lord responds. We see the aftermath of what happens. I like that we have examples like Hannah and Samuel and Caleb and Joshua. I love that we have the example of Chloe, Lydia, Paul, little Timmy. I love it. And so we see here in, in verse 3, And Samson said to them, <clears throat> And Samson said to them in verse 3, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Now, remember last week in chapter 14, how the Lord was searching for opportunity to move against the Philistines. And at this time, remember the Philistines, they're the head honchos. But it's because Israel forgot the Lord. Israel forgot the Lord. And Israel was doing evil in his sight. And the Lord surrendered Israel. Because remember Hebrews? He disciplines those whom he loves. 
and the days of the judges, God used them to help. God used the judges to help Israel remember the Lord again. And just like we see how Deborah was like jumper cables to Barak, remember in the earlier passages in the book of, uh, uh, of Judges? We also see something similar. Just like Deborah was the jumper cables to Barak, we see something similar with Samson's parents. Mama and Papa, how they are jumper cables to their son. Parents, be jumper cables to your children. Holy jumper cables to your children. You see? They're going to grow up. They're going to leave home. But don't forget the jumper cables. I mean, with Samson, he's a little rough around the edges. <laughs> I mean, in verse 3, I'm, you know, I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. A little rough around the edges. But the roughness is also matched to the times and also covenant. Remember the rules of engagement of covenant? It's also matched to the times. Remember the example we gave in Topeka, Kansas? Topeka, Kansas, you and me, we're in a car. And we're in Topeka, Kansas, and we're going to drive to the to the uh, Laguna Beach in Southern California. Now, if we're in Topeka and we're in a convertible and I stand up and I shout from the top of my lungs and I say, stop the car. There's a cliff. We're going to drive over the cliff. We're in Topeka, Kansas. We're going to Laguna Beach, California, the bluffs. And I'm in Topeka and I stand up, we're in a convertible, and I stand up and I shout from the top of my lungs, stop the car, we're going to cry, we're going to fly over the cliff. You hit the brakes and you say, hey, you're crazy. And you would be right because we're in Topeka, Kansas. We're in Topeka. There's no cliffs. We're not going to fly into the ocean. There's no ocean. We're in Topeka. But if we're in Laguna Beach and 500 yards away, we're going 50, 60 miles an hour and we're 500 yards away from the cliff and we're going 50 miles an hour. And then I stand to my feet, remember, in a convertible and I shout from the top of my lungs, stop the car hit the brakes stop the car you would be wrong to not stop the car you see in topeka i would be crazy i would be crazy i mean it, it is true you know don't in topeka it is true you know don't drive over the cliffs in you know laguna beach it's true that's not a good thing don't do that but the proximity to Laguna Beach is so far that, okay, you know, thanks for the warning. I'm not going to drive over the cliffs. But that's like, you know, we're going to arrive there tomorrow. You see? But when we're 500 yards away from the cliffs. And so these are things that must be factored in the times. And what the Lord is doing in the life of Samson. Yes, he's rough around the edges. 
but it is also matched to the times. Just like preachers in these last days. Preachers in these last days. They might be a little rough around the edges. But it's matched to the time. You see? Remember, when we look at the preachers of the last days, we have to understand formula. Because you have the soothsayers of the last days who present themselves as pastors. Ah, don't worry about it. No need to study Bible prophecy. We're not in the last days. That's what they say. These are the Rick Warren types. And Rick Warren, he says, oh yeah, no need to study the last days. These doom and gloom pastors, the doom and gloom preachers, oh, don't listen to them. That's Rick Warren. Purpose-driven liar. See? But if someone wants to be in a car 500 yards away from the cliffs of Laguna and the guy says nothing, yeah, go ahead. No big deal. We're 500 yards. Okay, 400 yards, 300 yards. Eh, no big deal. Don't hit the brakes. 200 yards, 50 yards. Flying through the air, about to crash in a matter of seconds. About to explode in a matter of seconds. Eh, you know, free country. Everybody has a choice to make. And the qualified preachers of the last days and heralding the return of our Lord, they do have some brashness to them. But it's matched to the times. Understand dispensation of times. Biblical dispensation of times. Not the, not the fake dispensation of times where you have pastors who say, oh, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. That was for the, the church in the book of Acts. It's not for us today. That's a lie. The reason why you don't see that in the church today, it's not because of the Lord. It's because of the church today. You see? And so look what happens here in, you know, uh, 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 Samson, he says, listen, in verse three, I'm blameless regarding the Philistines. If I harm them, then, Sam then Samson in verse four went and caught 300 foxes and he took, he took torches, turn the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. You see, he hasn't lit the torches yet, but look what he's doing. He ties the foxes together at the tail and between each tail, he connects the torch. And in verse five, when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines. Picture how fast the, the fire would spread when the torches are on fire now. Picture how fast right, that the speed of, of running foxes. And by doing this, look at the aftermath. Look at the aftermath. In verse five, you know, the, let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and the standing grain. Now, the, 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 it translates as this is the, the stacks of grain, the shocks. I mean, some farmers are listening. They know exactly what the shocks are. But, you know, it's the stacks of grain and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. And then the, in verse six, the, the, then the Philistine says, who has done this? 
Now, remember, the Philistines, they're the head honchos here. They take a hit to infrastructure in their food supply. And that is something that does not go unnoticed. And so they ask, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to her to his companion. They, they report on what the father-in-law had done, taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. You see? They burned her and her father with fire. The very thing that she tried to avoid, remember our study last week? The very thing she tried to avoid is the very thing that she got. The Philistines get a twofer. Because they address the father, the father-in-law, he's dead now. But they also hit Samson too by killing his wife. Now, as New Covenant believers... There are certain things that are difficult to understand when you look at it's like, wow, you know, Samson, like, wow, he's really, he's really rough around. I mean, this guy says he's rough around the edges, but oh my goodness, he's really rough around the edges. But when we understand covenants and the rules of engagement therein, it is easier to understand because with Samson in his era, were operating under the rules of engagement of the old covenant where in, in, in the rules of engagement we have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth remember jesus when he speaks the blood of the new covenant when he says you have heard it you have heard it be said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say, you see, but I say, there's a new way, a new covenant, a new manner of conduct. And it is of the spirit. It's very important to understand the rules of engagement of covenants. The very fact that Jesus says, you know, you have heard it said, the law of Moses. But I say, you're like, what authority does he have to change the law? I mean, if you're not a believer, I mean, picture the, the listeners of that time when the law was everything. And you have Jesus speaking. You have heard it said, yes, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they're in full agreement. They're on board with that. And then he says, but I say unto you, what? Who in the world could dare utter such a thing? There's only one who can. There's only one. You see? And these are things that the Pharisees were blind to. Remember our study in the book of Hebrews? Because of the changing of, you know, uh, uh, from uh, uh, Aaron to Melchizedek, from uh, 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 the, the uh, uh, Levitical priesthood to uh, 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 Ju or from, from Aaron to the, the, the priesthood, but then from not the Levites of Judah, because of this changing, there necessitates a changing of the law. Who is even eligible? Who is even qualified to speak like this, to even say such a thing, to actually do it? Who is even qualified to do that? 
There's only one. There's only one. And it's the Son of God, Son of David, Son of Man, Jesus. And sometimes Christians, we read these passages and it's very, very difficult. Like, wow, you know, they see Samson like, wow, he's really rough around the edges. But when we understand covenants in the era of the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth, it's easier to understand. But remember, 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 remember. We are in the new covenant. You and me, we stand on the rock. The living stone. Remember our study? It just so happens on Sunday. The living stone. The new covenant. We are new covenant believers. We are not to operate in the conduct of the old covenant. That's a different set of rules of engagement. Remember we give the example of, you know, Fallujah and Haiti. One theater is thick combat. The other theater is humanitarian. You see? Same commander, different rules of engagement. And so we see here, you know, the the Philistines in verse 6, they came up and burned her and her father with fire. In verse 7, Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. After that, I will cease. You see, Samson, not only is he a little rough around the edges, we also see that he's pretty quick to action. Pretty quick to action, which can be an Achilles heel. And this is something we see in the life of Samson, how he's quick to action and it will, in fact, be an Achilles heel. I mean, instead of taking pause, instead of reflection and prayer, certain things arise in his life, which for us as New Covenant believers, Brother James has taught us well. Because remember our study in the book of James, in James chapter 1, verse 19, what does Brother James say? He's inspired of the Spirit. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You see the quickness? The quickness is with hearing, swift to hear. The slowness is with speaking and wrath. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, we must understand covenants and the rules of engagement within each covenant. Same commander. This is something that is super easy for the veteran to understand. For the veteran to understand who has deployed to a humanitarian zone after a tsunami, for example. A tsunami comes and you see, you know, people who are activated, people in the military who are activated. You know, they're on active duty, but then they're deployed to this region to help in this disaster, in this disaster region, devastated region. And then to to feed and to provide, you know, shelter and build shelter to provide medical attention, humanitarian efforts. And the efforts are complete. You get back on ship. And then you deploy to a war zone. You see? Same commander. 
different rules of engagement. And sometimes it's difficult for saints to understand the wars and the fighting that we see in the Old Testament. But when we understand the rules of engagement within each covenant, same commander, the difficulty of understanding it dissipates because we understand, okay, that's Fallujah, this is Haiti. This is, you know, the uh, uh, d different, you know, same commander, but different rules of engagement. And so we see here in, uh, in verse 7, since Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like that, that I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. Verse 8, so he attacked them hip and thigh with great slaughter. Now, there are several ideas. There, there are several ideas on what this reference to hip and thigh means. What does this mean? And for me, I don't necessarily concern myself with debate over the matter. But what I do know is this. Samson, he just straight up wrecked shop. The slaughter was great. I mean, he attacked them hip and thigh with great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. This is near Bethlehem in Judah. Samson goes and dwells in a cleft of rock. Very interesting. Near Bethlehem. And just so you know, there are. There are things in the life of Samson that, you know, as we get further in the events of the last days, we're going to touch upon. Some things that we already looked at. Chapter 14, chapter 13. There are certain things that as we get further in the last days, we're going to come back to. It's so beautiful what the Lord is doing with the life of Samson, what the Lord is doing with his beautiful parents, mama and papa, fulfillment of promises unto them before Samson was conceived. You see? But at the same time, there's very real application to our lives today and in the last days. And I don't like saying the word application. It sounds too, sounds too formal. We just do it. Let us not be hearers of the word only. Being a hearer of the word is good. But let us not be hearers only. Let us be doers of the word. Don't forget, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Samson, there was a great slaughter. He attacked them. There was the great slaughter. And so he goes near Bethlehem to Etam. In verse 9, now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. Lehi. I say Lehi, but it's Lehi in Hebrew. Lehi. He then deployed themselves against Lehi. Now, remember. Samson is Danite. Dan, Dan is a neighboring tribe of Judah that is to the west. So, you know, he's in the Rock of Etam, which is near Bethlehem. And if you go to the west, you have the, 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 the inheritance of the tribe of Dan. And so the Philistines, you know, what they do is they go west to east. And it's in response to Samson's slaughter. And Lehi is a town in Judah. And remember... The Philistines, they're the head honchos at this time. 
Kind of like the example we gave earlier where the, the Canadians, they, they invade America and the Canadians, they call the shots. Where I can live in America, I can live in Kansas, I can live in, you know, um, uh, Florida, I can live in Ohio, I can live wherever, but the Canadians are in charge. They're calling the shots because we're, we were invaded by the Canadians. Now, that's just an example, but that's what's happening here. The Philistines, they're the head honchos. They're in charge. Remember, Israel was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord became forgotten. And this whole time, the Lord, he's searching for opportunity to come against the Philistines. Remember our study from last week? And so in verse 10, the Philistines, they come to, they, they, they come to Levi and the men of Judah. In verse 10, and the men of Judah said, why, why have you come up against us? Why have you come up against us? So they answered, we have come to arrest Samson to do to him as he had done to us. What he did to us, we're going to do to him. I mean, do you remember our study in the book of James? I mean, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study in the book of James. And the example that we used where, you know, remember there was the, 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 the there were two guys. One of them is dead. You have the dead guy and the other guy. And you hit the rewind button and both are alive. Remember the example we gave? How things just escalate. And here with Samson, we're seeing escalation, reaction from action. You see? I meant Samson does X, Philistines do Z. And you see the escalation, reaction from action. Remember the rules of engagement. Were, were the rules of engagement here with Samson? It's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I meant the Philistines kill Samson's wife. He reacts. Then they react. But we also see something else. We also see something else. Because, so, you know, the men of Judah, they, they see the Philistines come up. Why have you come against us? So they answer, you know, the Philistines, they answer, we have come to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. In verse 11, then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? Remember, they're the head honchos. They say to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And what we see is this. No jumper cables. No jumper cables. Remember the jumper cables of Deborah unto Barak? And how Deborah helped Barak? And how Barak helped the people through these jumper cables? Well, here with Samson... We don't see that. He's a judge. But we also see a loneliness to him. It reminds me of the prophets too. Yes, they're prophets. But there is also a loneliness. Because Judah, they're, they're not, I don't know how else to say this, but they're not spiritually aroused. And I don't say that in a carnal sense, but I mean, look at the, look at the spiritual arousal of, of Barak with Deborah 
And look at the spiritual arousal of the of Israel with Barak and Deborah. And with Samson, it's like, wow, where are the jumper cables? You see, Judah, they're, they're not on board with Samson. They're on board with the Philistines. Because it's 3,000 men of Judah in verse 11. They come to arrest. You see? It's wild. No jumper cables. What's happening? And you start to see something different with Samson. No jumper cables. It's not like the previous judges where there were jumper cables. There is a loneliness to this judge. There is a loneliness to the prophets. And it reminds me of the remnant. Because there is a loneliness to walking with Jesus. It's not your fault at all. It's not, no, it's not your fault at all. It's beautiful. You made your choice. You're walking with the Lord. You're intimate with the Lord. You're cheek to cheek with the Lord. That's beautiful. It's not your fault. But it's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. Perpetually. And your intimacy with the Lord is a beautiful thing. But don't expect everybody to have that. Don't be dismayed to walk alone. Rejoice and be of good cheer. And so you see, Judah, instead of being on board with Samson, no. They say, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? They're the head honchos. They're in charge. What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Remember, tooth for tooth, eye for eye. They took my tooth, I take their tooth. They take my eye, I take their eye. Very interesting. Very interesting. In verse 12, but they said to him, we have come down to arrest you. You see, remember, no jumper cables. Judah is doing the work of the Philistines. They wanted to arrest Samson. The Philistines, they came down to arrest Samson and now they don't have to do that. Why? Because Judah... He's, Judah is doing the bidding of the Philistines by arresting Samson. The Philistines are the head honchos. It's going to be the same in the last days. Among Christians. They're going to think they're doing right. But they're serving Antichrist. It's going to, it's going to happen in the last days. They think they're doing good. But what they call good is in accordance with the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age is turning antichrist. You see? And they're going to think they're doing good when really they're doing, they're doing evil. And they're going to turn you in. Oh, this man of peace, which is the antichrist, but they're going to love the man of peace. Oh, the man of peace, the man of peace. Look, this person says he's a Christian. This lady says she's a Christian, but she doesn't like this man of peace. She doesn't like what God is doing on the earth. She doesn't like this wave of peace that is happening. This guy who can bring peace and prosperity to the world. And she doesn't like him. He doesn't like him. Look, arrest her, arrest him. 
You see? Judah is doing the bidding of the Philistines, and they come to arrest Samson. Then Samson said to them, Well, in in verse 12, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, swear to me, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. I wonder if Samson, I wonder if Samson at this moment is having a reality check where he thinks that he's probably alone. You know, he, 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 there was the great slaughter, you know, he just wrecked shop and there's the great slaughter. And he just wants to live his life in the cleft of rock in Etam. Just, I want to live my life. Just leave me alone. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm just going to be here in the cleft of rock. And then the men of Judah arrive to arrest him. And he no longer wonders if he's alone. It's confirmed. It's confirmed. No, Samson is alone. Because Judah, he sees Judah now, is aligned to the Philistines. So Samson asked them to swear, swear to me that you will not kill me. In verse 13, so they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, in verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. The Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the ropes that were on his arm became on, on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. I mean, have you ever burned a piece of paper? I mean, you know, you burned a piece of paper or you don't, you, you know, you see it burned or maybe you burn it yourself, but you see how uh, you burn a piece of paper and you know, you see the flame, how it just spreads, you know, like the flame spreads and you know, like you, you, you take a corner and you light the corner and then the flame spreads. And the paper's still there. It's just black. You know, it's just, and you, you know, you, the paper's still there, but it's black. But, you know, you see the white part and it's getting blacker and blacker and blacker because the flame is spreading. But you take that charred piece of paper, which is no longer paper now. It's taken a different form because of the fire. And you touch it. And that one little touch disintegrates a big portion of the paper because it's, it's no longer in its paper form. It's been burnt. And one little touch, and boop, it disintegrates. And that's what happened to these ropes when the Spirit came mightily upon Samson. The ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with the fire, just like one little touch, boop, and disintegrates. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. In verse 15, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Have you ever seen the jawbone of a donkey? I mean, in terms of weaponry, it's actually quite the tool. And, you know, with this fresh jawbone again from a carcass, remember our study from last week? From a carcass? And no death? Well, upon the user of the jawbone, well, I meant the holder of the jawbone. Samson, he's alive. And he's using the jawbone to kill. Samson fights. Samson fights. And when we say to kill, remember, rules of engagement. It's 
Very important to understand rules of engagement. Same commander. Different theater of war. But it reminds me of another time when the Spirit of the Lord came upon another person. Peter. Peter. Who he also fought. And thousands were cut to the heart. You see? very important for you and me to understand rules of engagement of each covenant. As new covenant believers, we're not to operate of the rules of engagement of the old. We are not to do that. That's the flesh. That's the carnal nature. The carnal nature. And this is something that the saints are going to have a hard time with. We're, 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 we're going to be under trials in the last days, tribulation in the last days. And Christians today are fighting according to the flesh. We are not to operate in the rules of engagement of the flesh, but it is of the spirit. These are things that Brother Peter writes in the perilous times, in the times of tribulation of 64 AD in his age. But how appropriate is it for our age to understand the rules of engagement and to fight the good fight, not in accordance to the old, but of the new, as new creations. And here in these rules of engagement, in the era of the judges, Samson, with a fresh jawbone, the carcass, he kills a thousand men with it. Then Samson said in verse 16, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. You say Lehi, but it's really Lehi. Ramath Lehi, height of the jawbone. The height, speaking of the, like the stacks of bodies. Thousand men. Thousand men. Samson was strong. Definitely a force to be reckoned with. He was strong. But remember the promises. The promise that the Lord gave to Mama and Papa before Samson was born, before Samson was conceived. In verse 18, then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Remember, the 3,000 men of Judah, the 3,000 men of Judah, they were afraid of the thousand of Philistines. And the Lord is giving deliverance through Samson. And Samson, he says, you have given great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And the Lord responds to him. The Lord responds to him. In verse 19, so God split the hollow place that is in Lehi or Lehi. And water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, he called his name En-Hakore. En-Hakore is the fountain of one who calls out. That's how it translates in the, in the Hebrew. Fountain of one who calls out or fountain of one who proclaims 
or fountain of one who preaches. Wow. Fountain of one who preaches. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? Samson killed his thousand. And Peter? Peter killed his thousands. And how he killed was not according to the flesh. He cut them to the heart. And being cut to the heart, what does he do? He gives them life. How? By giving them, giving them the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And Hakore, fountain of one who preaches. Very important to understand covenants. New interpreting old, old interpreting new, and with the backdrop of Torah, we see something beautiful. Fountain of one who preaches. Therefore he called his name En Hakore, which is in Lehi, Lehi, to this day. In verse 20, and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up next week in chapter 16 to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, saints of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.